Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Matt, there's another interesting story involving January the 6th. Uh, Ray Epps, a name that everyone has become familiar with because of the far right, you know, pro-Trump protester who was at the center of the right wing conspiracy theories that he was secretly working with the federal government during the attack on the Capitol. Well, he's called on Tucker Carlson and Fox News to retract uh, his, quote, false and defamatory statements alleging he was working with the government. What do you make of uh, of this cease and desist from Ray Epps against Fox News. First, Ray Epps is not a good guy. Ray Epps was there on January 5th and January 6th. Ray Epps is on video saying head to the Capitol. Ray Epps is on video trying to push people to the Capitol, trying to incite people to go to the Capitol to engage in some kind of protest. And the idea that it can't be noted that a guy is doing this seems ridiculous to me. Me think thou doth protest too much. And if Ray Epps doesn't like it, you're on video, man, for the world to see in the public eye, in the public domain. How dare you? It's a Fox issue? No, it's a Ray Epps issue. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.locals.com. Of course, this is the kind of question that gets asked on MSNBC. It gets asked to Matthew Dowd, who in the day was part of the Bush-Cheney team, and then he announced for a run for lieutenant governor of Texas as a Democrat just last year. And then as soon as he announced, he ended the campaign. Actually, it was 2021. He's one of these guys who has just been broken by, um, well, uh, this, this isn't the party of my, of, of my past. Is conservatism still conservatism? Or were you not in it for the conservatism? That's where I find myself differing from, from my, my, my counterparts, my peers, etc. people who are into the populism and everything. I'm in it for the theory. The reason I'm a conservative is because if you engage philosophically, it provides a value that I think creates better lives. It's the philosophical that gets me. It's not the populism. You think it's Trump? You, If you haven't figured it out by now, I don't spend my time swooning over Donald Trump. In terms of his personality and his demeanor and all that kind of stuff, you can argue he's not a nice guy, not a decent guy, and you don't like him. That's completely fine. But there are plenty of people I might not like who I'd vote for for president because I need the job done. And as a conservative, I'm taking a look at the world as it is, not as I wish it is, and I see who he's running against if he's the nominee and say I have a choice to make. And when grown-ups can't make that choice, they're no longer grown-ups in my view, which is why never Trump is such a pathetic, ignorant position and why only Trump is equally as pathetic and ignorant. I don't care if people like what I have to say on the subject. I'm right and they're wrong, not because I say so, but because a genuine application of theory says so. If I have two choices, Ron DeSantis or Hillary Clinton, and you say to me, Ron DeSantis never should have been the nominee, I'm not going to vote for him, that to me is a foolhardy position. That is pure, unadulterated ignorance. If Trump's not the nominee, I'm not voting, is pure, unadulterated ignorance. Stop the steal so don't vote in the Georgia runoff election. Pure ignorance. 
I think I'm being pretty rational in my conversations, as opposed to Matthew Dowd, who is completely irrational in his conversations when asked about Epps and then goes on a screed, a bender about Fox News. I, I, I think there's a whole bunch of people out there, including Ray Epps, that have seen that that that. Fox News is an incredibly weakened position right now because of all the lies and things they stole that Dominion, the Dominion lawsuit has pointed out and the things they've said internally about what they actually knew and what they reported on air. And so I think it's a demonstration. Um, finally, I think that Fox News is might begin to be held accountable for the damage they've done to our democracy and the damage they've done to truth. And I just want to say one thing in the course of this. Bravo to people like Ryan and others who continue to monitor this and not let not let us forget what happened on January 6th. Okay, Matthew Dowd clearly is having a breakdown. He's going to engage some weeping in just a second. But the entire Fox Dominion conversation, take you over to the Wall Street Journal, their opinion pages, Dominion's weak case against Fox. Victory for the plaintiff would severely weaken the First Amendment protection all news media enjoy. And it's a piece by William Barr. You mean Bill Barr, the former attorney general. In this, he writes, and I quote, Emotions seem to have gotten the better of the mainstream media's judgment. The theory advanced by Dominion is profoundly dangerous to the media industry as whole. Memories are very short and imaginations very limited if the left thinks that only Fox would be vulnerable to lawsuits in a world where defamation liability could be incurred for simply reporting allegations made by others. In this case, he's referring to allegations made uh, by Rudy Giuliani, uh, allegations made by Sidney Powell at the time, and others. Does anyone, he writes, remember the endless false claims of Russian collusion that dominated the news from the 2016 presidential election through most of the Trump administration? Or the false Iraq gate claims with which George H.W. Bush was bombarded during his 1992 re-election campaign? Or the lurid allegations which were given wall-to-wall cable news coverage that Michael Avenatti made during the Senate confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh? Unquote. He's making a fine and profound argument here. The first one is Fox News is innocent until proven guilty and allegations are meaningless. It goes to court. It goes to court. If there were people on Fox who believed, I, I, I believe X happened, but I'm going to say Y happened. Well, that's a credibility issue. And you allow the market to handle that. That is not necessarily lawsuit worthy. But remember, with the true believers over at CNN, they all told you that Trump colluded with Russia and he he was in the, the Russian hotel room with the hookers and everybody was doing everything on the beds and everything else. None of it happened and they never apologized. They just moved right on to the next thing and then hired some of the people who were working to try and frame Donald Trump like Andrew McCabe, like Peter Strzok and others. It's an allegation. And let a lawsuit continue. Let the courts decide. But certainly, if Matthew Dowd is going to throw around like a petulant child, oh, Fox is such a threat to democracy, and not notice where he works at MSNBC, well then, dear Lord, you don't have to take Matthew Dowd seriously, and you shouldn't because Matthew Dowd is a damn fool. An honest look at the media landscape shows us that media has a lot of work to do everywhere but matthew dowd not an honest broker keep it here i'm tony katz
All right. I don't know how they decide the seating. I have no idea how they decide who's a one seed and who's a 16 seed and who's a four seed and who's a 12. Does any of it matter? FAU beats Tennessee. Gonzaga pulls it out over UCLA. Michigan State was basically a heartbeat away from beating Kansas State. What in the world is going on in this March Madness tournament? This is nuts, and the Sweet 16 has not shown any signs of slowing down. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5, The Fan. You've got Gonzaga to win it all, and you got lucky, my friend, against UCLA. Lucky. What the hell was yesterday all about? Well, I thought it was all about the end of the game. Well, first of all, in the first half, Gonzaga really didn't show up. And Gonzaga didn't play the style of, of game in which we have grown accustomed to in the past, certainly this year. And UCLA took them out of everything because UCLA put the offensive pressure on them. But UCLA in the second half, Tony, if you watch that, went 11-plus minutes without scoring from the field. Uh, Gonzaga took that lead back, 13 at the half. Then Gonzaga was up 10 with a minute and a half, couple of minutes to go, and just started gagging. I mean, they had a guard, Malachi Smith, uh, on a press against UCLA that thought, I'm assuming thought Mick Cronin in a blue suit was uh, one of his uh, players from Gonzaga, threw it to him, went out of bounds. Uh, you saw Jaime Jaquez go and one a couple of different times. And then, you know, ultimately UCLA took the lead, and you saw Julian Strother, you know, coming out of the timeout for Gonzaga down one, go basically just past the half-court line in a play that evidently Mark Few, the head coach of Gonzaga, drew up to give him the option either to drive to the basket or to pull up and shoot a 35-foot three. And he picked, uh, I guess, B. I'm going to shoot this 35-foot three and buried it. And uh, that that was that. Gonzaga did get lucky, Tony, because they gagged up a lot of possessions in that final two minutes. And normally under those circumstances against a UCLA team that good, you're not going to survive that. But, yeah, Gonzaga got incredibly fortunate. Now they go to the regional final game out in Vegas against UConn coming tomorrow. By the way, I think UConn looks very, very good. They do, I buddy. Mean, they, do. They, didn't just, they didn't just beat Arkansas 88-65. to That is a dispatching. That's like, yeah. why are you in my way? Can we get on to something serious here? Um, th- were they seated wrong? Is is it clear that that they were a much better team than maybe people realized as they came into this? I mean, you could make an argument of that, I guess. But at, at the same time, I think what we've seen from UConn is the best balance of any team so far. What I mean by that is the best balance in scoring and defense with what they have. Um, they, they've just been really good. And, and, Tony, I think we also have to remember that over the course of the season, they went through a couple of different phases, a long win streak and then a lengthy losing streak to get back on track. So this team, is what I'm trying to say, has always had it in them. They probably were deserving of the seeding that they ultimately got, but this is what they have shown in this tournament, the best balance offensively and defensively out of anybody, and that will be a huge test. And, again, check out Gonzaga and UConn. Tomorrow night, it's about the guard play for Gonzaga because you know what you're going to do with Drew Timmy. You saw Mick Cronin of UCLA, Tony. He didn't double Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy went crazy uh, until the end of the game when they tried to get the ball out of his hands. But it's going to be about the guards from Gonzaga. And Mark Few went with Malachi Smith late, a guy off the bench and not with his starters, and 
Bolton and Hickman, which paid dividends too. So this is going to be an interesting matchup, but nobody has played better to this point than UConn across the board, and we'll see what they do against the Bulldogs. Talking to JMV from 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Before we, we, we move on and talk some Colts, Florida Atlantic Owls. Yes. yes. That's FAU beating Tennessee. Um, it's because you don't see them. You don't, you don't hear about them. Nobody is like the powerhouse of FAU, except they're 34-3. and three, And, dear Lord, they're in the Elite Eight. Tony, let me tell you this. We are all Owls. We were last night, and we will be tomorrow night. Here's why. Dusty May, their head coach, is a close friend of mine, and he's from my high school, Eastern Green in Green County. Uh, We talk often, and uh, this has been absolutely unbelievable to see him from Green County, where I'm from, on the sideline coaching in the Sweet 16 at Madison Square Garden was absolutely surreal. And if you watch the first half, his team struggled. They did struggle against Tennessee, but in the second half, you knock out a couple of threes, get a little bit of momentum, take Tennessee defensively out of what they're trying to do. That is a good, strong, quality team. But remember, for the sake of your good friend JMV here, we are all owls this weekend for Dusty May, the pride of Eastern Green High School, Green County, Indiana, just like me. Yeah, the Owls only had 22 points in the first half. It was 40 in the second half and holding uh, Tennessee to just 28. Um, when you see moves like this, when you see uh, games like this, like we, we, we've we seen and um, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson takes out Purdue and the next thing you know, the coach of Fairleigh Dickinson, he's got himself a new gig. That is sometimes all it takes. A good showing in a tournament. One thing changes careers, changes trajectories, is that insane or is that just normal? Well, I mean, especially for Purdue in the past two years, uh, because the way that they have played, or I guess we could more accurately state it, the way they have not played to their ability. You know, they helped um, you know, they helped uh, Anderson get a gig uh, at Iona after Rick Pitino left. That's an upgrade. And then last year, Shaheen Holloway, who was the head coach at St. Peter's, who knocked off Purdue, upgraded his gig from St. Peter's in New Jersey to Seton Hall in the Big East in New Jersey. So the Boilermakers have been a part of this the past couple of years, and that's kind of a rite of passage. It really is. And the thing about it is I think the longer that you go in this, these jobs start to disappear. So I'll give you the Dusty May angle. There were some jobs open. Georgia Tech was one, a couple of others. Uh, I think Ole Miss was open as well at some point in time. He's probably going to stay where he is twofold. Here's why. Uh, Because there probably won't be jobs available by the time his run is done, hopefully not coming up tomorrow night. But the other aspect of it is he has a team that is a lot of which going to be back. Uh, it is a team that's going to be back, going to come back is his expectation. And he could be certainly inside the top 20 as predicted to start next year. So there are a couple of different reasons why he may not get poached. But one thing we have to watch is whether or not his players get poached from the transfer portal. Maybe a power five team comes at him, likes what they see in a player or two that he has. He plays a lot of guys, Tony. I mean, he goes nine and ten deep off of that bench. Maybe somebody gets poked and changes the dynamic, which is easily done today. But it looks like, Dusty, not just now, but for next year, down in Boca Raton, Florida, Florida Atlantic is sitting pretty nice. Really quick, uh, just uh, let's get some predictions. Alabama, San Diego State, who do you got? Um, I'm going to take Alabama with that. You got Creighton. You got Princeton. 
You're taking Princeton. You're taking Princeton uh, yeah. just for the drama. Yeah, I'd like to because obviously Alec Pierce's brother is freshman, but I'll go ahead and I'll take. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and take Creighton with that. What are they, nine-and-a-half-point favorites, I think? Oh, it doesn't Creighton. matter. Yeah. You're taking Princeton, just like I said. <laughs> Xavier or Texas, which I think is the game of the night? Uh, Texas. I have Texas going to the Final Four, so at least with this, uh, Texas and Gonzaga, i got to be half right. And Houston-Miami. Miami has uh, uh, been uh, rather successful in this run thus far. I think the health of Marcus Sasser in Houston is a big key here. He looked really good last time out. I'm going to go ahead and take Kelvin Sampson's team, ending the hurricane run later on tonight. Let's bring it over to the Indianapolis Colts. Let's yeah. bring it over to the fact that we have we, we signed a wide receiver. We've signed a kicker. Um, we've ripped some, some things uh, asunder. And we haven't answered the question of whether or not there's going to be any level of trade to that third pick in order to get a quarterback in 60 seconds or less. Where are the Colts getting ready for this draft? Um, I still think that they're going to be at number four, and I think Will Levis is going to be at number four and until I hear otherwise, because this is, if you remember what I told you back in October, and I'd heard that's who they liked, and I still believe that's who they like, and again, until I hear otherwise, today's a key day, Tony, because down in Lexington, Kentucky, it is the Will Levis Pro Day. So there will be a bunch of Colts folks, a bunch of other folks down there to watch his pro day. Not so much about what he does athletically and throwing the football, but it's a lot about the interview process. But again, until I hear otherwise, proven otherwise, I'm going to say it's going to be Will Levis at number four, which will disappoint a lot of people around here, assumingly speaking right now. Are you one of those disappointed people? I'm not on board with it, Tony. I'm on board with C.J. Stroud, but obviously that's, that's not going to happen. I think we've seen the reason why. But no, I'm not. I'm not on board with. It. I'm on board with the process of starting with a rookie and not trying to dig some veteran out of the closet here or anything like that. Even with Gardner Minshew, but uh, yeah, the, the Levis thing, I still have some questions about. Certainly, JMV ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. I appreciate taking the time to be with us. I don't have a good read at all on whether or not the fan base is going to be fine with Will Levis and fine with the the fourth position. I I, I just don't have it. I think they're fine with Gardner Minshew. I always say Mishnu. It's not Mishnu. It's Minshew. M-I-N-S-H-E-W. Uncle Rico. I think they love that maneuver because it's the it's the clarification that, you know what? Everything we've been doing in quarterback, we're going to start fresh. Bringing him in means Sam Ellinger clearly moves on, and, and, and so he should. Uh, Matt Ryan, of course, released from, from the team, and no fanfare there. Um the idea that they would be that the fan base would be thrilled with CJ Stroud, I don't have an answer for. I really don't, because I didn't know if they wanted Bryce Young the way the way clearly um, uh, Jim Irsay wanted Bryce Young. I don't know if they believe in some of the the guys from from Tennessee and Florida who moved up the charts because of because of the combine. I haven't heard anybody be excited about any moves that the Colts have made. Uh, even even the Minshew ones, just. Okay, that's that's nice. Like that's the the extent of it. So I don't know. Maybe they're gonna be thrilled with Will Levis. Maybe they're gonna be thrilled with with Chris Ballard, the GM, because he didn't have to give away the farm to get a, a future franchise quarterback. You know that, that's that's worthwhile. But I I I could see it going the other way. I could see the fan base being just infuriated, and they've just had enough of Ballard and this inability to to get the winner. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. 
There really is only one question when we're talking about President Xi, Xi Jinping of China, meeting with Vladimir Putin of Russia. Is China arming Russia? I mean, that is the question. Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, two guys who, of course, you want to share a bourbon with. And the only question is exactly what's the purpose of this? Is this about China providing lethal arms to Russia so they can go about continuing the invasion of Ukraine, which isn't working out as well for them as they would like, but they're willing to throw a tremendous amount of bodies at the subject, was this about China now get, grabbing a foothold in Russia to ensure that that vassal state that we've been talking about actually comes to be and China gets access to, I don't know, rare earth minerals and other things that Russia has, including a tremendous amount of oil. One of the few things that I agreed with Senator John McCain on is that Russia is a gas station masquerading as a country. And what of Russia's other moves, like in Norway? Tony Katz, Tony Katz, today, good to be with you. Let me bring in Major Mike Lyons right here, retired United States Army West Point graduate. And, and sir, you're my go-to guy uh, for these things and for these conversations. You took a look at this meeting. You saw what was happening. Is China in a place where they feel completely emboldened and they could say, you know what, we're going to arm Russia. We're going to provide them with tools that they need to, in their view, finish the job in Ukraine and make Ukraine part of Russia. So, Tony, I think they are completely emboldened, but I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's about, uh, you know, giving them more arms. I think uh, deep down, they want Russia somewhat of a lesser military power than they are right now as well. well they share that same interest as as the West does. And I, you know, they need Russia's fuel, they need their energy, they need their gas, to your point before. I, I just don't think that um, they send much. They send maybe some non-lethal aid. And if they do send anything, it's artillery rounds. That's really what Russia needs right now. But I don't see any Chinese weapons or any kind of other systems that are gonna be sent there. Too far to get there, the world will know. China right now is trying to be the peacemaker in this thing. If you saw their proposal that they want to uh, go forward with for a ceasefire. It's it's completely unsat from our perspective. It basically divides Ukraine like Berlin was divided at the end of the Second World War. But China right now wants to be the peace negotiator, and that, I think that's how they're positioning themselves. Wants to be the peace negotiator or wants to be perceived as a peace negotiator because they want to further solidify their place at the table so they can then further solidify their objectives, whether it be Belt and Road, China 2025, or whatever else. Yeah, no, all of that. Belt and Road is part of it, that uh, they want to gain more influence uh, in the West. We all we know their influence is already there in, in Africa. Um, they, they reach into South America. You know, you, you can argue that violates Monroe Doctrine on some level. It's, you should be paying more attention to that. Uh, but China is always playing the long game here. And I, I think they've almost somewhat moved past Russia. I think they think Russia will somewhat implode over this. They know they, they can't win. They're not going to vanquish Ukraine based on what the situation is on the ground right now. So I, I don't see them doing anything to hurt their own standing in the world, which is that peacemaker status, which is they want to be. What they're what you, what you think that they're going to be giving uh, specifically are artillery. Um, right. If you see a bullet 
ch- change hands and 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 you see uh, the chinese say here you go here here here's a pallet here's multiple pallets here's uh i don't know how many rounds we're, we're talking about here or what what we mean by our, our artillery uh and and toto right right i'm i'm yeah. using the term bullets but of course we're talking about other things um what is that world's response? Because clearly the response is not one from the United States alone. Well, I think it's going to be subverse. What I mean by that is having walked on a battlefield and overcome enemy positions in the Middle East, I saw rounds that were made in all different kinds of countries that were pointed, supposedly pointed back at us that you kind of shake your head at. Said, how, did they, how did this enemy get a hold of these rounds? So I think... I don't think they'll be caught, let's say, put it that way. They're, they're not going to be in that position. Uh, it's possible, in fact, that some, some rounds have been launched already that, uh, that might have found their way from, from a Chinese factory someplace. Although, again, you know, the, the fact is that Russia just has so much military equipment, and they're starting to bring things from the other side of the Ural Mountains that uh, they used to keep there when we used to have these, um, these arms treaties with them. Um, they would take them off the battlefield, so to speak, and... and and take them behind the Ural Mountains. Well, we're seeing T-55s, T-60s, other tanks, T-64s, other tanks now that, that are heading towards that battlefield. So Russia still has a significant amount of munitions to go before China really has to provide them something. But again, if it's anything, it's going to be artillery rounds. So how much of this is what you would consider a uh, tactical move from China in an actual fulfillment Right. You're saying right. it might be a ways to go because Russia still has uh, plenty that they're working with, although we constantly hear those 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 varying reports. And how much of this is the uh, psychological play? Now, China is something else that we have to worry about. And what what would you argue is a rational response from the United States, if any? Yeah, no, it's the psychological play. It's a great point. And a lot of it has to do with messaging. Because now uh, it, the message is China is on the side of, of Russia. And, uh, and as the, the world is becoming back to the future with regard to East versus West, and now it's you know, far, far East, frankly, um, I, th- I think that um, Russia now is well aligned with, uh, with China. You have uh, India also is in that same camp, North Korea, Iran. And I think the world is getting to that place just, just a lot faster. So I think part of that messaging, that psychological Issue, issue is the fact that um, Russia now is aligned with China. You know, you, you go back to the previous administration, if there's one thing Donald Trump did not want to have happen was exactly this, have, have the Chinese and the Russians kind of get together. If we had kept the Russians at, you know, somewhat of an arm's length and we, you know, there's nothing wrong with having three large nuclear powers, uh, you know, kind of standing off with each other. But now th- those days are over. It's clearly Russia, China versus the United States and the West. Talking to Major Mike Lyons right here, retired United States Army. This is one of the questions uh, that, that I uh, received. Uh, the people are, are, are not convinced that China fears us knowing Biden is, is weak. Is this a real concern for the United States, uh, for the U.S. military, watching China engage? I mean, it, it, this is a pretty bold step, whether they give the, the, the right. artillery, as you're describing it, or not. It's a very yeah. bold step. Is the military worried that Biden is the reason that a lot of these things are happening? Well, if the military is worried, they're not going to say, but, but clearly you look at history and it shows that 
Joe Biden does not have this personal deterrence that other presidents had, like Ronald Reagan had, uh, and, and in most cases, like Donald Trump had. And, and and the flip of that, you saw Barack Obama talk about a red line in Syria, and then that was crossed, and he never did anything about it. So right. um, it, it does it does depend on the personality. And right now, you just have a president that's just all over the place when it comes to you know, what he thinks um, and where this is going. Obviously, this, you know, he, he's, his support of Ukraine seems to be more based on what, what Congress wants to do. I don't think he's, he doesn't have the same kind of vision that we remember from Ronald Reagan about the Soviet Union being an evil empire and, and, and the like. I don't think that he has that same deterrence. And plus, here's a president that says in the past, China's not the bad guy. That's their, you know, they're, they're the ones, he's done business with them in, in a lot of different ways. So he looks at it maybe as that kind of economic tie. If, we all, if we're all tied together economically, we won't go to war with each other. But if there's one thing to fight in Ukraine, it's proved that just that, that's not the case. That, that did not deter Russia from attacking Ukraine. When we talk about Russia and um, we keep hearing that Ukraine is fighting the good fight uh, there and, and keeping them at bay, they've been able to take back land. We hear this back and we hear this back and forth and we hear about uh, the Russian army isn't what we thought uh, that it was. And, and, and I truly believe that the Russian army is not what we thought that it was, but it certainly seems like they've got a lot of people they can throw at a problem. Let me, let me share this with you. This was NBC News saying that they received these videos uh, about Russian subs stepping up patrols and stepping up movements in these areas where they have uh, undersea pipelines, where you've got uh, these this oil and natural gas that's going to Europe, telecommunications uh, mm-hmm. that connects Europe to the United States, and they're seeing Russian movement. So if if I, a layman, was engaging this conversation, Major, this is Russia moving on two fronts, or at least trying to create some noise on another front while I'm being told that they don't have the capacity to handle things in Ukraine. What it says to yeah. me is Russia does have the capacity to handle things in Ukraine, and they're trying to make sure everybody knows that they're big and tough. Are they, and how concerned should the Norwegians and the rest of the, of the world be? Well, again, we're seeing back to the future Cold War tactics by looking uh, into things that they, they're testing our responses, they're testing our, you know, our reactions and response times. We saw them um you know nick that drone we saw on the black sea dumb move by a russian pilot that could have taken his own plane down as well but when i saw that uh i think again everything is about messaging and it's about trying to show competence and at least some part of their military so they project it they can't ever sustain it we see this with um their strategic bombing runs they they start they they decide to launch um 84 85 uh targets we saw a couple weeks ago uh, still, still much less than what the United States would ever fire. The United States would be firing 2,500 sorties a, a day at this. I mean, if, if we were in a conflict, there's no no question about that. Now, not a year after, a year after here, we, we'd have, we'd like to think we'd have some resolution by now. So no, I, I don't think that's it. I think this is just Russia being Russia and knowing where they could go at something appear that to try to look strong. Um, but, but uh, you know, Russian submarines are going to have no impact on this fight. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Let's talk about appearances. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of presidential candidates, potential candidates, have been answering questions uh, for Tucker Carlson 
at, at Fox yeah. News, this questionnaire about Ukraine. And when yeah. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, answered uh, the, the questions, he referred to the Russian invasion as a territorial dispute. Uh, yeah. Just, I don't know if it was today or, or, or yesterday, uh, mm-hmm. coming out to say that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal. Um, mm-hmm. is, is, is this, uh, in, in your view, a bit of backtrack? Is he trying to reposition because maybe calling it a territorial dispute laid a, a question to Americans about whether or not he's fully prepared and engaged to handle these kinds of conflicts? Did he, yeah. as I, I think his team wants to describe, not give an answer that was full and complete? Uh, when, when you saw DeSantis's, Governor DeSantis's statement, what did you think and what do you think now? Yeah, I, frankly, I liked his first statement. I wouldn't have changed it. Um, frankly, it is a regional conflict. And that's exactly what's happening there. It's a regional conflict. It's a border conflict between uh, two states that, that exist, that, that share the same border. That, it, it does come down to that. So, you know, and he did say that it's important for the United States to remain focused on U.S. interests. And I think that's true as well. And I think, um, you know, if we're trying to get to this question as to whether we're going to continue to support them, obviously there's, uh, the NATO countries and in the West, there's still an appetite to do that. And the United States leads with with regard to training and equipment and, and everything that we can get there as fast as possible. So now the second piece, though, when he added the, the war criminal, I, I think that becomes now more of an aggressive tactic that just it was unnecessary. It didn't have to be said. It's clear that um, that Vladimir Putin and, and the Russian military have committed war crimes there. Um, but that's going to be settled once this is over, and that's how war—that's how wars work. You know, they don't, they, you know, the, the the winners end up prosecuting and end up, you know, determining what the war crimes are. So I, I think that um, it was just unnecessary for him to do that. Maybe he did it for some kind of a voting base. Maybe he did it for politics. But Ron DeSantis seems to be pretty smart, and I think this first response was just fine. But you you didn't have issue with uh, him referring to it as a territorial dispute. No, I've said that all, all along. It's, it is right now. It is a territorial dispute. It doesn't involve NATO. It, it involves two border countries. It is a territorial dispute. I, I don't necessarily project it as, 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 uh, as something that, that, that takes it all, all the way through, through Western Europe at this point. It is because if it, anything, if it wasn't, then we'd have European nations in there fighting with the side of Ukraine. But, so, it, it, so it, but that, to, to many people, takes away from the idea that it's an invasion is your argument it's different or that it can be both at the same time? Oh, it could be both. I mean, first of all, Russia's been in Ukraine since 2014. Uh, that, this started back then. Uh, they, they own Crimea. They have the, most of the Donbass region. I'm, I'm confused as to why they decided to invade because they had 20 to 30 percent of the politicians already that were in the Ukraine parliament that were already aligned with Russia. So they kind of tried to control the country before this has even happened. Now that's all out the window, obviously, as, as uh, they use a military solution. That wasn't good enough for Vladimir Putin. But no, it's, it's, it's clearly a regional conflict and, and that needs to stay a regional conflict. And, and right now, again, it's, a, it's a, come down to a war of attrition. Neither side will vanquish the other. And um, if, if for Ukraine to win, it's likely they're going to have to recreate a new border if, that, if that's going to be the case. They refuse to do that right now. Uh, Russia refuses to to stop uh, fighting because they don't have to. The wars were won on the battlefield, and right now that they don't threaten Crimea, they don't they don't do things that they could do. So the war rages on.
Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. This is so absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Janet Yellen in front of this hearing and asked about whether or not uh, she has ever done any polling. Uh, Do you have any uh, understanding of why the IRS is so unpopular reputation is amongst the country have you done any polling or anything like that to see what what generally taxpayers think middle wealthy people bottom bottom i mean are they they kind of like the national park service are they a little different what what do you think their impression is well it's extremely hold on a second did you hear the laughter i don't know who's sitting next to to a representative i think it's amaday uh but they're they're giggling like like a school child and then here comes in janet yellen saying it's oh it's so negative because what what do you think their impression is well it's extremely negative because the irs has been starved for resources and so they're so insufficient. You, I don't mean to cut you off, but I've got even less time than the than the ranking member does. So, you think it's resource related that they have absolutely have a bad reputation? It's nothing to do with historical culture in the agency or anything like that. The, the agency has been resource starved, and it's not been able to invest in the kind of technology that is it makes your, it. Is it that's our problem, America. We're not giving the IRS enough love or enough money. That is a take. I'll, I'll give it to her. That's, um, that is something. Modernizing is, is one thing, but thinking that's the reason that the IRS is not beloved is just, well, a whole bunch of fantasy. TonyCats.locals.com. Find it all there. Monday, everyone. Take care.